Good morning and welcome to Music 316 for Wednesday, December 9th. When the Buddha died sometime around the 5th century B BC, his followers buried him in a, in a funeral mound that was called a stupa. And these funeral structures soon became more elaborate as they were used for Buddhist ceremonies and turned into structures that were shaped like a dome with a pointed top. But the dome was not hollow. It was solid on the inside. The funeral was conducted by having the worshipers walk clockwise around the funeral mound playing musical instruments, like the circumambulation of Indra's flagpole that you saw in Nepal. The circumambulation of the funeral mound, the, the stupa, is still performed in Sri Lanka and Nepal over 2,000 years later. We'll just see a quick scene of a musical circumambulation of a stupa in Nepal. This is the big dome-shaped stupa. During one month in the summer, Many musical groups come here at sunrise to do this musical circumambulation of the stupa. There's the dome, and here is the top with the eyes painted on it. Now, the same practice of uh, musical circumambulation is also done at temples that are not round but square in shape. And whether the building is round like a stupa or square, like a temple, doesn't really matter because the ritual and the music is performed the same way. And that is that you start at usually the east side, you play music, you play music part A here, standing at the east side, and we have to move that north. And then you walk around clockwise around either the round stupa or the square temple, walk around it playing a different kind of music. We'll call that B. Continue around to the south side where you stop and play music A again. So let's say this is A1 and this is A2. Continue walking around and play B again, so this is B1, this is B2, around to the west side, and you play A3, B3, A4, B4. So your music always has eight sections to it, four sections of A, two, three, four, alternating with four sections of B, two, three, four. And that makes a kind of a musical notation written in stone, 
That is, the building tells the players what they should be playing at any time in their performance. Let's take a look at how that works. These are farmers, members of a farming caste from a rural area of Nepal, and they've come into the city of Patan to a Buddhist temple there. They're playing a special kind of dance called, called a drum dance, or kimpyakam, and um, I won't write that down. And there's an ensemble of flutes, crossbone flutes, here in three different sizes that are playing the melody. But what's important here is not the melody, but the drumming, because the drumming is going to give you the difference between your music, between the A music and the B music. A music that you play in front of the gates is faster. So here they are at one side of the temple. They're performing this Now I say this is a drum text dance because the drum the drums are playing syllables like the tablo drum that um, um, that Andre demonstrated last week. And the syllables have a meaning. And what the dancer does is to dance out the meaning of the text that the drums are playing. So he has to do a very careful, accurate job of dancing out the message that the drums are playing as they move around this Buddhist Monument, and what the drums are playing are things like, I fuck your mother. I fuck your sister through the hole in her rotten dress. Now wait a minute. This is a Buddhist religious offering? Well, yes it is. Why? Well, it made you laugh, didn't it? and you forgot about whatever troubles you had for just a minute there when you heard that ridiculous message that the drums were playing. And Buddhism is about the easing of suffering and getting rid of miseries. And so, yes, this is a religious offering. And, gee, now that we got distracted and lost all of our suffering, We've got to go back and suffer a little bit here because we missed what happened. And so I'm doing a fast rewind. We'll let them dance or let him dance backwards back to the first side where we saw him start. Okay, this is at the beginning, first side. Now there's this fast music. And then it slows down. And now it's a lot slower than it was. And now they're moving clockwise around the building. So this is your B music. The B music while they walk around the building from one side to another is slow music. The A music that they play when they're standing at one 
side of the building is past music. So they're still playing slow as they move around here, slowly around from one side to another. They're still playing funny messages on the drums, and he's still dancing out the meaning. And now here they are at the next side of the building, and the music speeds up again. Fast music, that's the A music again. So your eight-part structure, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, turns out to be fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, as you go around the building. And that's what the building tells you to do. The building is telling you what music to play just by its architectural design, because it has four sides. The stupa would have four gateways on the four sides, so you would know what to do when you got to that point. There's the four-sided temple. So there's music that is written in architecture. And you know, it really doesn't matter what tune the flutes are playing. They could play anything. And the next time they do this piece, they will play something different. They're not going to play the same thing every time because that's not important for the music. The melody is just a decoration on top of this geometric structure that is laid out for you in the stupa or the temple, both of which are models of the universe. The stupa and the temple represent the structure of the universe. And to play as you circumambulate them is to participate in the structure of the universe. This is a farmer's wife and her daughters. They came to a national religious festival at one of the major shrines in the capital area of Nepal. There is an official ceremony going on just over here to the right, out of view of the camera, with a priest who is hired and paid by the government to do the official ceremony. And these women just walked in and sat down next to him and started chanting this Buddhist text. And it's amazing. I mean, they were just a farmer's wife and daughters. You don't expect them to know the Sanskrit language. I mean, in, in Hindu religion, Sanskrit is basically for the Brahmin priests. But these women decided that they wanted to learn Sanskrit so that they could um, sing these religious texts. So they did. And they came in to the ceremony. They're sitting there with a book of Sanskrit poetry. And they're singing the song. And they were doing such a great job that all of the audience decided to listen to them rather than the official priests doing, doing the government-sponsored ceremony. This is a pretty democratic form of Buddhism in this area, despite the fact that um, the caste system is very strong in Nepal. Now here again, this is a group of farmers that's going to perform a song. And everybody will tell you that the farmers are the best musicians not professional musicians who tend to be 
low caste, but, but farmers who play music for the fun of it in their spare time. And this group of farmers is going to perform a song called Adapa, which is actually related to Drupad in North Indian classical music. It's a very old form of what became Drupad. Instead of the two singers in a Drupad classical performance, you have two groups of singers singing back and forth, taking turns at singing, except at the very beginning you'll have an alap performed by two individuals. And they'll explore the notes of the scale the way that the professional Drupad singers do in classical music. Let's listen to the alap. In this tradition, the alap is called raga. laughing and talking in the background. A lot of people are around just doing their own thing and not paying particular attention to the music. <coughs> what are the drums Playing. They're not playing a rhythm because the alap is always in free rhythm. There's no beat to this. And so the drums are playing random patterns just to create a sound in the background of the singing. In other words, they're playing a kind of drone. They're being used here as drone instruments, not to play a rhythm, but to play a note to support the singing. Second singer on the alap. Thank you. 
the musical scale than the first singer did. start the song. The song is the Dapa, and it consists of two parts. The first part is Duwa. In Drupa, that's called Druva, and that means the fixed part, the part that stays the same, which is a repeating refrain that you come back to at the beginning of every verse and at the end of every verse. So that repeats. And then the verses of the song change between the repetitions of the refrain. And so if you look at your handout, you can see the rhythmic cycle for this song. And the whole thing is Four lines of ten beats, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, times four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, times two. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, times two. And one, two, <coughs> excuse me, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, once. That's the whole rhythmic cycle. The whole rhythmic cycle is 108 beats long, divided into four times 10, uh, two times 12, two times 14, and then one times 16. And do the numbers and work it out. This is a favorite number in Buddhism, and much Buddhist music is based on mathematical formulas. And a 108-beat cycle is especially um, a favorite of Buddhist musicians because of the mathematical characteristics of 108. Does anybody know what that is mathematically? It's two squared times three cubed. Again, do the math and you'll see. And because of, because of that, it's a, um, a, a specially symbolic number just because of its mathematical characteristics. And so they're going to sing this song with a tala of 108 beats. Now the way that you can tell the beats in this, <coughs> excuse me, song are tala for rhythmic cycle in South Asia used to mean symbols. And in this dapa singing, they still use the symbols to count the tala. These symbols are called ta for tala, but they're also called tin chu 
because of two sounds that they make when you play them. Teen, when you play them like this, at right angles to each other. Teen and chu. So, teen chu. Now, if you look at the notation, you see I've put in the teen and chu by the numbers. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's teen chu. Teen, teen chu. You can follow the teen and chu that way. But for now, maybe the thing to do would be to look at the video. You'll see the, these symbols actually off to the left when the camera zooms out again. So they're about to start the first cycle of 10 beats. And let's just start them right here.
because we don't have time to listen all the way through here in class. Now we move on to the last CD in the class, CD number seven, and our last unit, Inner and North Asia. <clears throat> With Inner and North Asia, we're back in nomad country again because much of the landmass of interior Asia and the northern part of Asia is land that can only support the herding of animals over a large territory. And so just like the nomads of the deserts of Rajasthan, the nomads of Mongolia and Tibet and the rest of inner Asia have to travel light and get maximum musical value out of limited material objects that they transport. And so one of the special kinds of music making that is done in inner Asia is two voice singing by one person, where a person will sing a fundamental note and accompany him or herself by overtones like that sound something like playing with jaws harp. This kind of, of music is called krumi. There are several ways to spell that. And that was example 1A. He's um, singing a drone on the low note and changing the shape of his mouth to emphasize different overtones on the high note, giving that melody that sounds 
almost like a flute being played in the background. Um, I won't include example 1B on the listening exam, um, although it's quite, it's quite short. It's what happens, what happened to this music when the Soviet Union took over part of, of Central Asia in the 20, 20th century and decided to teach the Mongolians how to sing more like Russians. Um, and so you'll hear the, hear the overtone singing transform into a um, Russian folk song if you listen to this, but it won't be on the listening exam. Example two is a famous kind of singing from Mongolia. It's called a long song, not because the song is very long, but because the melody reaches so far up and down the musical scale that you have singers who have three or even four octave singing ranges doing the song. For the long song, musicians are accompanied this instrument. It's called the Maureen Corps. It's a two-stringed, long-necked lute with a horse's head at the top. You play with a bow across the strings. And it's a beautiful, expressive instrument in the hands of a skillful player. Example number two. Herders as they herd their animals. 
and nobody to hear them but the singers themselves and flocks of sheep, of horses and camels in Mongolia. A beautiful example of nomadic singing and one that had great influence on Chinese music after the Mongolian conquest of China under um, the descendants of Genghis Khan. This is the story of the origin of the mooring party, the horse-headed fiddle. It tells us about how back in the olden days there lived a nomad who had a wonderful horse. This was the fastest horse that ever lived. It could outrun any other horse, but it was more than just a fast animal. It was almost human. It could listen to you and understand what you were saying. And it could com communicate with humans by sounds, by gestures, by things that it, said, that, it, that it did. So that you felt almost like you had a human companion when you had your source. <clears throat> Another nomad got jealous and wanted to steal the horse and he sneaked into the um, camp late at night while everyone was asleep and he tried to grab the horse and the horse fought and broke away and wouldn't go with him and he got so mad that he killed the horse and when the first snowman woke up the next morning and found his horse dead here's the horse when he was still alive the player makes those sounds by drumming on his instrument and by sliding his bow up and down on the strings. So there's the horse alive now. Here's when the horse is dead and when the owner discovers him dead in the morning. idea. He says, I'll take the bones of my dead horse and I'll build a box with the flat shoulder bones and I'll take a long leg bone and make a neck for the instrument and I'll twist some of his tail hair and make two strings and I'll curve his picture at the top to remind me of him. And then when I play this instrument, the voice of my horse, the spirit, and the power of my horse will always be with me. So this was how the boring horror came into existence. One more class on Friday, and we'll continue with other examples from 
um, CD number seven. So we'll see you Friday.